Pray with me. Oh God, we come before you this morning desiring to hear an Easter word, a living word. Lord, I ask that my words would become yours and that you would speak through me. Open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what it is to have you have to say. Speak, O oh Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. He is risen. Wonderful. Hallelujah. I wonder what it would have been like to have been there that Easter morning. To have been those first women to the tomb to discover that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the Gospels record that the first people who discovered it were women. The Gospel of Luke tells us that it was uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, and others. And this should tell all of us and remind all of us what most men in here should already know is that women usually know things before we do. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? They knew. They knew before. And joking aside, we should give credit to these women because they were the first people there. Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, the other Mary. They were the first to discover that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And they had the bravery and the courage in their day to speak it aloud and to share it, that Jesus Christ was risen. And when the women... But when the women went to the tomb, they weren't going there to make some legendary discovery to have their names written down in history books. No, they weren't going there for that. They were not going in anticipation that Jesus was alive. They were not going there knowing that he had risen, that he had won a great victory. No, they were going there with spices to complete his burial. They were, in essence, preparing to go to a funeral to pay respects to Jesus' body. Funerals may be one of the hardest things that we go through in this life. There is something shockingly final about it. And that's what fills us with such grief. And many of us this year have experienced a loss just like this. We've had a Good Friday moment. We have felt, in part, what these women were feeling. See, you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. We do have Easter hope friends, and so will these women at the tomb, but they experienced Good Friday and Holy Saturday first. They did not go to the tomb that morning knowing that Jesus had risen from the dead. No, they were going to prepare his body. They were going to a funeral. And I imagine that these women, they went to the tomb that day in, in great sorrow and great anguish, not only because they loved Jesus, but because they had hoped that he would be the Savior of the world. What hope did they have that, that anything could be reversed? What hope did they have that someone could rise from the dead? What hope did they have that death was not the final word to all that Jesus had begun and started? They didn't have any. But the Apostle Paul, one of the, one of the early church leaders, he was writing to the Corinthian church about the resurrection. And he said, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus hasn't been raised, in other words, Christians are to be the most pitied of all people because what hope we do have is false. But I want to expand what the apostle said. But I would say even for all people, if this life is all there is, if death is the final word, if there is nothing beyond the grave, then I believe that all of this is a really, really bad story. Because justice never comes. Because no wrongs will get righted. Because nothing will be restored in this broken creation if this is all there is. Relationships we've built and we treasure will be gone. 
The impact we've made on life can be reversed. Friends, death takes away all meaning from our lives. Simply put, death destroys life. But to proclaim on Easter Sunday that he is risen is to proclaim that death is not the final word. It is not the end of the story. To say he is risen is to proclaim that there is hope for our world, there is hope for each one of us. And today I want to show you how Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. There are three reasons why that Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. We have hope on Easter because Jesus defeated death, he is alive, and the renewal of the world has begun. So let's break it down. Number one, we have hope because Jesus' resurrection defeated death. When those women arrived at the grave, they were 100% expecting a body to be there. 100%. That's what they were going there for. They expected Jesus to be dead. They had brought spices to anoint his body. They were, in essence, the first in the line of cars headed to the graveside. They showed up there first. I mean, can you imagine heading to a graveside service and suddenly discovering that the person you're, you're supposed to be honoring, their body is somehow missing? That would be alarming. That would be shocking. That would be terrifying. And that is what these women discovered. They began to wonder what happened. Could it have been the Jewish leaders? Could it have been the Romans? What happened to his body? They were terrified. They were alarmed. But God made sure to not let them be in fear, to not let them speculate anymore. He let them know. Two angels appeared, and they said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. See, death itself was not strong enough to hold Jesus Christ in the grave. You know, Jesus accomplished a lot when he went to the cross. We've been talking about that the past seven weeks in our church. And one of the most glorious things that Jesus accomplished on the cross was that he killed death itself. He destroyed it. He overcame it. There was a Puritan preacher who once preached a sermon, and he titled it, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Death has died when Christ died on the cross. He overcame it. Jesus took death into the ring. He wrestled it down, and he came out victorious on Easter Sunday. And friends, this is good news for us. This is our hope. Because Jesus has defeated death, that means he can do the same for us. Death can be defeated for us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, the text we read for this morning, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now Paul is using a harvest metaphor here to describe uh, what's going on in the resurrection. Now we know that Jesus' death took place at the start of Passover. Uh, that's the annual feast that celebrated God redeeming the people out of Egypt, redeeming them out of slavery. And in a recent sermon, I noted how this is a picture of Jesus redeeming us out of our slavery to sin and slavery to death. You know, it's a metaphor of redemption. We've been using a lot of metaphors this sermon series on the cross. We've talked about Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross as the metaphor of the sacrifices in the temple and the cleansing for sin. We've talked about how the cross justifies us in the courtroom of God and makes us right with God. We've talked about how the cross redeems us out of slavery. And we've talked about how the cross was the victory in the battle over the enemy of God. And now the metaphor shifts again. It moves again. And this time we're in the realm of farming, of agriculture. We're talking about the harvest of crops. You see, the Passover, the main thing about it, yes, was the deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt. 
But it was also uh, during the spring when the first harvest began uh, to ripen. And so what the Jews would do on the first Sunday of Passover, uh, they would bring in the first fruits. That is the first of the harvest that was ripe, that they would, they would take that off and bring it into the temple and present it to God. And the first fruits was the sign that the harvest was coming, that the rest of the harvest was going to follow the first fruits. And so literally because Jesus was uh, killed on Passover, and this all was happening during this time, at the same time that Jesus rose from the dead, the priest is in the temple offering the first fruits of the barley harvest to God. And Paul's saying in the same way, Jesus is God's first fruits. He is the first in a harvest of resurrection. He is the first in a harvest of new creation. The fact that he has been risen means more are sure to follow. I love how the scholar Gordon Fee, he says it this way. He says, Jesus is God's first fruits. God's own pledge that there will be a full harvest of those that will be raised from the dead. By calling Christ the first fruits, Paul is asserting by way of metaphor that the resurrection of the believing dead is absolutely inevitable. It has been guaranteed by God himself. Friends, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee of our risen Lord. Christ's defeat of death makes it certain, makes it absolutely certain that those who belong to him will defeat death too. He is the first sign that God has launched this harvest of resurrection in the world. He is the first fruits of a glorious defeat of death. Jesus told us, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Because of that, we have hope. That death is not the final word. That in Christ, our bodies are a seed planted in the ground. And one day the harvest will come and they will be raised to life. Many of the flowers that you see up here were dedicated in the honor of someone who died. Their body is a seed planted in the ground. At one point, these flowers, they were just seeds. They had no sign of life. They looked absolutely dead. But when planted in the ground, God works his magic. And look how full of life they are. The same is true for those in Christ. Bodies are planted in the ground, but they are a seed of a harvest that is sure to come. It doesn't look like it now, but one day, friends, that harvest is going to come. Christ has guaranteed it. He is the first fruits of a harvest of resurrection for us. So for Christians, funerals are not the end of life, but the beginning, the very small beginning of a new, a new existence with the Lord as we await the resurrection of our bodies and the renewal of this world. So we don't have to fear death because Jesus has defeated death and he holds the key to eternal life. Praise be to God. That is the first reason we have hope today, because Jesus has defeated death. The second reason is because Jesus' resurrections means Jesus is still alive. Now, to some of you, this might seem totally obvious. Of course, that's what resurrection means. He didn't stay dead, he rose again, he lives. But I don't think we often appreciate this reality enough. In fact, there's one story of a pastor has of a woman uh, approached him after uh, an Easter service, and she said to him, well, so what happened with Jesus after the resurrection? He says, well, he ascended to heaven, and he's still alive, the pastor said. She says, well, I know he was resurrected, but is he really alive? She asked. Yes, he's alive. Alive? 
alive, why didn't you tell me? So for the next two weeks, this woman, she telephoned everyone she knew and told them, did you know that Jesus is really alive? Friends, may you know this morning that the resurrection means Jesus is alive. He is still alive. And may we know this with confidence. And because Jesus is alive, that means what he's doing right now is he is Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended into heaven. And he is ruling and he is working in the world and he's working in your life, whether you perceive it or not. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 and 26. It says, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So in other words, when Jesus launched his kingdom movement, uh, it was a work he started, but it wasn't fully established. The kingdom is not fully here. So his kingdom is growing slowly, patiently, over time. We see the fruits of it over time. And he, Jesus, he lovingly, he humbly, and he patiently invites each one of us to trust him as the true Lord of the world and the Lord of our lives. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force. He's a Lord who works patiently with love and persistence. And so what Jesus is doing now is he's establishing his kingdom in the earth through the church, driving out darkness wherever it may be found. And once our Lord is done, he will defeat death itself by granting all those who belong to him a resurrection just like his. You know, I think some people might think we follow Jesus kind of like, you know, we follow the teachings of, of Gandhi. Or, or perhaps some people might think that Jesus' work kind of continues like, like the civil rights movement continues in our day. But there's a really big difference. In fact, there's a massive difference between that kind of thinking and what Christianity is. Because Jesus is really alive. He is really alive. And because Jesus is alive, he's inviting each one of you into a real, a real personal relationship with him. Did you know? You can actually speak with Jesus. You can talk with Jesus. You can hear from Jesus. He hears what's going on now. And he is doing things in the world. And I'm talking about the same Jesus. The same Jesus who was born in a manger in Bethlehem. The same Jesus who walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. The same Jesus who healed people on countless occasions. The same Jesus who drove out evil spirits. The same Jesus who was arrested, who was flogged, who was condemned and who was crucified on that cross. And then he rose again. I'm talking about that Jesus. It's the same Jesus. He's still alive. And he is, his power is available to us now. Friends, Jesus can transform your life precisely because he's still alive. You know, Christianity, it's not just a set of life principles, even though it has them. It is not just another religion, even though it has rituals. It's not just a philosophy, even though it has doctrinal beliefs. No, Christianity is Christianity because Christ Jesus is alive. That is what sets it apart. We are all about Jesus and his life and his power being available to you. I can testify to you, and so can many other believers in here, that Jesus is alive and he is still transforming lives today. Jesus changed my life. He has changed my life in so many ways that I couldn't even begin to tell you. We'd be here a long time. He has saved me from guilt and shame. He has saved me from the power of sin. He has redeemed my life on countless, count, countless occasions. And I know many of you could say the same thing. Jesus is alive and well, friends. 
He's still doing things in the earth, and he can transform your life. Maybe you are here this morning, and you need a fresh start. You need hope. Maybe you need hope for a situation you're in. You need guidance on a big decision. You might need some emotional healing. Maybe you're feeling some guilt and shame from your past. You might need a grace and a mercy that's bigger than you. You might need a bigger purpose than what you've been living for. You might need a foundation for your life that never fades. And the good news is, Jesus is really alive. And he can give you a brand new start. You can take all the junk of your life, you can take all of your past, and you can bring it right to him, and he can transform you and resurrect what was dead in your life. Because he is the one who cares for us. He loves us so much, he went to the cross willingly. For the joy set before Jesus, he died for us on the cross. If he would do all that for you, what else will he withhold from you? He loves you. His arms are open wide. His grace is available. His power is available. And he's saying, come home. Come home to me. Find your purpose. Find what you were created to do. Find your life in me. I am alive. Jesus calls out to us, come home. We have hope this morning because Jesus is still alive. And finally, we have hope this morning because Jesus' resurrection means that the renewal of the world has begun. You see, the hope of the resurrection is so magnificent because it gives us hope for eternal life. It gives hope for our lives here. But it also is hope for our broken world because it means that God is at work, however slowly and patiently, to redeem it, to save it, to renew it, to transform it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 21, Paul says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If you know the biblical story at all, you know that God created the world and he made a man named Adam and his wife Eve. And very early on, they disobey God, they sin, and so they're cast away from the presence of God who is the life-giving spirit. And so therefore, sin naturally brings about death in us humans. And so Paul is saying, all of us by nature, all of us by birth, we are in Adam. We're connected to Adam. And so we share in the sin nature that Adam has. If you have a, if you have a baby or a toddler, you quickly realize you didn't teach them how to be naughty. It just happens. They just are sometimes. We share in the sin, sin nature of Adam. We share in it. And we all sin like Adam did. And so therefore, we all die. But Paul says, so just as through a man, just as through a man named Adam, death came. So through another man, Jesus, will be the resurrection of the dead. Jesus reverses all of the curses and all of the death that Adam brought into this world. Jesus comes to reverse this curse and renew the world. So in Adam we die, but in Christ we will be made alive. But the really fascinating part is that just as Adam was the beginning of creation, so Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new creation. It means God is at work to redeem, to renew the world. And that is really good news for us. I love how N.T. Wright said it. He said, Death is the unmaking of God's creation. Resurrection will be its remaking. That and nothing less is the Christian hope. This is what it means to have Easter hope, friends. It is to join Jesus in his kingdom work of resurrecting this world, renewing this world, because what we do in this life it will matter, and it does matter, eternally and forever. 
You know, 1 Corinthians 15, it's the largest chapter uh, in the Bible about the resurrection. It's 58 verses. And I think it's just fascinating and I think quite unexpected how it ends. Listen to how it ends. Paul says, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Isn't that good news? You see, if death is the last word, all our labor is in vain. But because, because it perishes and it dies with us. But because of the ra- resurrection, what we do in this life matters because it has continuity with the life that God is bringing about and resurrecting in this world. And I want to say to you, some of you saints, you've been serving the Lord faithfully for decades. For decades. And I want you to know this morning, not one prayer is in vain. I want you to know that not one Sunday school lesson is in vain. Not one sermon, not one small group, not one hymn or worship song, not one meal served, not one morning in the nursery or toddler room, not one phone call to a friend, not one visit to the hospital, not one minute of raising your kids, not one pancake cooked for high school students on Wednesday morning, not one dollar given to the cause, not one board meeting. Thank God. (laughs) Not one minute of your service to the Lord is in vain. Not a minute of it. Not an ounce of it. Because God is using all of it. He is taking everything that you give Him and He is working a miracle with it. And He is using it to redeem and transform this world. So when you serve the Lord, everything you do matters. As small as it might seem sometimes, God is using it to work a miracle of resurrection in this world. Not one ounce of your labor for the Lord is in vain. So the application is, Easter is not just about waiting around to get to heaven someday. No, it's about joining God right now and resurrecting and redeeming this world. So therefore, friends, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's tiring, even when you don't feel like it at times, even when you feel discouraged and you're ready to quit, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Be immovable. Be unshakable. Be fixed. Be steady. Be focused. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes right there so that when you get to the end of your life, you can say, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have given it all so that God's world might be redeemed and renewed. And not an ounce of it will be in vain. You will see one day, that God is using it to make a harvest of resurrection in this world. Be someone whose work for the Lord resounds into eternity. Because what you do for Jesus will carry on into the next world. You know, I think the women who suddenly discovered that Jesus was alive on Easter morning, they were filled with glorious hope. They discovered that Jesus had defeated death forever and could grant them eternal life. They discovered that Jesus was still alive and therefore he was the true Lord of the world. They discovered that the renewal of the world had begun and they were about to play a really cool part, a glorious part. This is the glorious and magnificent hope of Easter. Some of you here this morning, 
you might be feeling, ah, I would love to experience some of that hope. I would love to have Jesus transform something in my life. If that's you, I would love to speak with you this morning. I'm going to hang out here for a few minutes after the service is over, and I'd love to talk with you how Jesus can transform your life like he has mine. And for all of us, may we be filled with the hope that Jesus has defeated death. He is alive, and he is at work renewing the world. He is risen. risen Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, God and Father of all, we thank you that you created us. You created us with purpose. You created us with love. And you created us to redeem us and save us. We thank you that you have given us this glorious salvation in Christ and the hope of resurrection in our world. We thank you that you take all the things we do and you work a miracle. God, I pray that you would grant to each person here who is feeling discouraged, depressed, doubting, or they're full of despair, I pray that today you would grant them Easter hope, resurrection hope, that they would leave here changed because, Jesus, you are alive and you can transform their lives. Lord, I pray for those who, who have yet to know you as Lord. I pray that they would see that you are truly the living Lord and that they would place their trust in you. And God, I pray that all of us would give ourselves fully to your work knowing that what we do will last forever and into eternity. And God, I don't want to forget this morning of our brothers and sisters who are gathering around the globe, many who are facing persecution, many who were violently attacked this morning in Sri Lanka because they worship the living Jesus. Oh God, bring them Easter hope. Bring them comfort. Bring them strength. May they stand gloriously for who you are and what you have done. And may you be with them in a special way. And may their witness testify to the truth that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the living Lord. Oh God, be with the persecuted church all over the globe, giving them boldness and strength and comfort to those who need it. And God, be with us as we go forth in this, from this day, renewed and restored in the hope that you have given us. Send us into this world to be the light and to spread the good news. Amen. And now we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.